0: Welcome to episode four of F-Stop, Collaborate, and Listen with host Matt Payne. Today's guest is Joshua Snow. He's a night photographer based out of Moab, Utah, and uh, man, we had just an awesome conversation. We talked about drones, we talked about uh, finding our artistic vision, we talked about uh, social media, we talked about composites, we talked... Pretty much covered every single talk book we could ever think of. Super cool dude, Um, super inspiring. He, uh, you're gonna love his story. Um, He's just a really great dude. Uh, I think you're gonna like this one, guys.
1: dad, uh, back in Pennsylvania, was, you know, he's getting older, and he's kind of always down and sad that he's not around, you know, or we're not around, and he likes following us along on our adventures and stuff, and Facebook and pictures, and he was like, well, drones are pretty cool, like, what if I, got, what if I gave you a few hundred dollars towards a drone, would you buy one? You're like, uh, duh. uh, Yeah. And then I don't know, who, <laughs> I don't know if you know who, uh, Mike Musell is. Uh, the, he's like the storm chaser photographer from Texas.
0: Oh yeah. I think I've seen his name. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, he, he doesn't, he never fly, he never flew his and he has the, had the DJI Phantom 3 Pro and he messaged me when I posted uh, a Facebook post about, you know, thinking about getting a drone and he told me that he had all this stuff for sale and then he would sell it to us for pretty cheap so we kind of jumped right on it and oh heck yeah yeah it just showed up the other like, two days ago and i kind of flew it around in the house and crashed in the wall and then <laughs> <laughs> flew it around in the backyard and almost flew it into a bush and so we we took it out today to the park where there's like a big open lush grass field so we wouldn't have to worry about hurting it too bad
0: so did you uh did you have to like get your what is it the FAA license or something you have to register it or something like that
1: you you can register it um, with the FAA and it's actually really simple and it's like five dollars but you can go further and get like a UASF like I'm not exactly sure what the acronym is but um, you can go further and get some sort of like unmanned aircraft pilot license thing but I haven't really looked too much into that
0: (laughs) that's crazy yeah,
1: well, because yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of like concerned. I mean, you can't fly them in the national parks, which is fine, because I'm hardly ever in them, other sure. than what I'm doing, other than when I'm doing a workshop or something. So, but we are going down Wednesday, next Wednesday, we leave for uh, Reflection Canyon, which is kind of like one of the arms off of Lake Powell. Oh, uh-huh. And it's like a ten mile hike in just to the spot. Like you go to the end of Hole in the rock Road in Escalante, and then it's just like a ten mile straight hike across the slick rock and fields. And but I want to be able to fly it there. But uh, my friend Jesse sent me a map this morning that shows like Lake Powell and all of Glen Canyon Recreation Area as a no fly zone. But then he found like other documentation on the internet that says that you can fly there. So I, I have to call the, the Glen Canyon Recreation Area office and see if they, they'll allow it because I'd love to be able to fly it around there. But then again, I also don't feel like hiking it in there.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're, how heavy is that thing?
1: Uh, It's not that bad. I mean, it comes in like its own bag, but if I were to take all three batteries, the controller, the iPad mini, and it's probably like another 10 pounds.
0: Okay, Cool.
1: It feels if okay probably with the three batteries, maybe more like eleven or twelve pounds, because huh. the batteries are really heavy. Yeah. It's, but, so I mean, how much not...
0: how much flight time do you get with a uh, one battery?
1: Each battery, I think it, it's rated for like twenty three minutes, depending on like wind and how hard it has to work to stabilize, uh-huh. or how fast you fly it around. But I think <laughs> we were getting like like twenty minutes per battery on average. It's not bad. No, it's not bad. I mean, it's enough to get like, to let it, you know, fly around at sunset and get a couple shots or, right, you know, just get some aerial stuff. Like three batteries could last a weekend. I could see it if you weren't like just goofing around.
0: Yeah. I haven't decided how I feel about drones in general because <laughs> I think they're pretty cool. And the shots I see that people get with them is really cool. But then I'm like... If I'm, like, my biggest, where I like to shoot is in the wilderness. I know they're not allowed in wilderness areas, but. Right. Like, just in general, if I'm outside and then I see someone flying a drone around, I'm sure I'd get grumpy. <laughs> I'm just a grumpy old man.
1: <laughs> I like to, uh, you know, like, I like to go down to the Badlands and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And it's, I've seen, like, Alex Noriega has some aerial stuff from that from that area. yeah. And it's insane. And, like, it's the only real reason that I've ever even entertained the idea of getting one is, like, basically just to fly around in that area.
0: Huh. So, Josh, thanks for being on the podcast.
1: Yeah, for sure, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. I, um this is a project I've been wanting to do for about a year now. I just never had the time or the equipment or the motivation. And I finally just said, you know what, I'm going to do this.
1: <laughs> no, I think it's pretty cool, man. I was listening to the one that you did with John Yeah. earlier. Well, a little bit of it. I couldn't really listen to too much of it, but um, John's a cool cat.
0: Yeah. He's super cool, dude. And I know you got, uh, you got drawn into that same Facebook messenger group that I've been in for a couple of years now for the northern lights and night photography
1: yeah i don't i don't usually chime in that often
0: yeah um, me neither <laughs>
1: but i'm i'm you i usually see the messages here and there I'll, I'll hop on but like sometimes i'm just too far behind in a conversation and i'll just like wait for the next conversation to start
0: yeah same here uh Plus, like, if if you turn if you keep your notifications on in that group, you just get spammed. <laughs> yeah, I know.
1: It took it took me all of like six hours of being added to that group chat to just turn the notifications off.
0: Exactly. <laughs> you just there's get really... you
1: just get Aaron and Brian and Matt Pollock like, like back and forth just.
0: Oh yeah. Well, because those guys like have known each other forever. Ever yeah. Um, yeah. That that there's a lot of good talent in that group. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's actually used to be a lot more people in there, and then for whatever reason, people left. Uh, just probably because people are opinionated and say things about other people, and some people don't like that. <laughs> yeah,
1: I know. I have to. I, sometimes I have to bite my tongue. I'll see somebody say something, and I'm like,
0: mm, yeah. should
1: I or should I just should just I just not it say it? Yeah, just let it go.
0: Yeah, that's kind of how I am too. I, I don't know. Photographer. That was kind of a big focus of the conversation I had with Aaron Babnik, is like how opinionated and egotistical photographers are sometimes. Just, it's really interesting how passionate people get about other people's work. Right. <laughs> and I don't know. I've I pretty much have taken the stance now. I just don't care.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of getting there too because. You know, with as many people that are opinionated about somebody else's work, there's just as many people out there that think they are God's gift to photography. And if you don't listen to their critiques and their comments on your image, like when you post in a group, yeah, then they just will not like ever acknowledge that you're even there. Like They'll be like, oh, you should clone this out because I don't like it, or I would clone this out. And if you're not like, okay, yeah, I'll do that, they're just – silence they just would we'll just never talk to you again
0: yeah well and it's interesting cuz when i first started in photography um i remember one time i posted a photo on my i think it was like my personal facebook page on my wall and like a couple of my friends liked it and then like one of their friends saw it and it was like a i won't say his name <laughs> Uh, cause he's actually a really good photographer, but he commented on my photo and he just slammed me like, and it was all, it was all relevant. It was all real and correct, but he just tore me apart. Like completely
1: unwarranted and solicited, right?
0: Well, it was completely warranted in terms of what he was suggesting (laughs) because it was like pretty bad, like oversaturated, just not good at all. Mm -hmm. But I didn't ask for critique or feedback. Right. And, and I think, I think, well, I was just going to say, I think
1: entitled people are,
0: Oh, like, and I, so I, I don't know. I started a, I started a group on Facebook for just people to be able to critique each other's photos. Cause then it's like, okay, you if you want critique, that's great. Cause that's how you get better. But, like it just drove me crazy to see people just constantly critiquing other people's work and I, I've done that before too, and I, I just I don't really I try not to bother anymore. I try to like be really, really, really nice about it unless they're asking for feedback
1: right, yeah, and and I kind of just fall back anymore like if i if I, if I ever say anything like it could be completely constructive, posted in a group where you would expect constructive criticism. And I'll say, this image is amazing. I just, I don't really care for how you processed the sky or I would maybe do this differently. Other than that, I think the image is amazing. And it's like every time I do post something like that, you you get just people like climbing down your throat. But then those same people will do the same thing to other images that they don't like. So I just keep my mouth shut anymore. I post my stuff and if people want to critique it, whatever, if they don't, whatever, it doesn't matter to me anymore.
0: Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think critique is an important aspect of learning and getting better, but yeah, it's when sure. people just, you know, go out of their way to just slam people um, when they didn't ask for it. It's it's just, I don't know, I think it's rude.
1: <laughs> yeah, I totally agree.
0: So anyway, um, so I have no idea how I... Um, came to know who you were. (laughs) I think you just kind of came out of nowhere. Um, but you were just started posting just really awesome night photography. And of course, that's one of my biggest things that I'm into. So anytime I see someone posting really great night photos, I'm like, who's this guy or gal? (laughs) gal, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I
1: appreciate that, man.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. And then I started, you know, I got interested in like, you kind of have this, uh, Interesting journeyman story like I think I was kind of reading on your website but then I was also remembering some of the posts you've made in the past about like you basically lived in New York you picked up your entire life and just moved across the country to pursue photography I, I know you're not doing it full-time but you're getting close it sounds like and uh that's pretty inspiring I think for a lot of people and then on top of that I think if i remember correctly you like lost like a thousand pounds or something <laughs> <insane>. <laughs> like just super inspiring stuff like so uh, i just kind of wanted to talk to you about that like how that journey's been for you
1: uh it's been a crazy journey i mean i i'll be 30 this year in june um i spent like most of my life for pretty much as long as I can remember, maybe 10 or 11 years old, um, you know, always being the chubby kid or the heavy kid. And there was a period of time, like I was around 17, I think, where I got really sick with meningitis and
0: uh-huh. and
1: lost like a, just an insane amount of weight really quickly. And so I spent like a year of my teenage years as a normal sized person. And it was kind, <laughs> it was kind of a trip because like I didn't know like how to act or like you know, you spend most of your life, you know, being overweight, you're, you know, you're going to have like personality issues because, you know, you're insecure and always nervous or whatever. So I was like, all of a sudden I was like, you know, I'm playing sports and kind of in shape, like, you know, and it was very weird, but I put the weight on pretty quickly. And then as I went through my twenties, I was working as like a cook for a while, and then I oh, got it. Oh, that into, doesn't help. No, it doesn't <laughs> help at all. And then I got into manufacturing, and you know, then I got into engineering, and then you know, with engineering came more lethargy, and I'm sitting around in an office or a desk all day, and just kept getting heavier and heavier and heavier to the point where I was like, "Shit, I'm almost 400 pounds." And you know, I was doing a lot of fishing. That was kind of my hobby then, and. But it was like drive to the lake, yeah camp, camp for three days and not move and just eat pizza. Like that was kind of like the antithesis of what we did every weekend. and I kind of got to the point where like we wanted to go hiking. you know, we lived in the finger lakes of New York. We wanted to go hiking, and one day I remember going to one of our favorite gorges that we had done before, but you know it had been some time since we had done it last, and we were at our heaviest and my girlfriend was overweight. I was almost 400 pounds and we started at the top because it's like a, you know, maybe 2000 foot descent throughout a two mile gorge. Yeah. So like we got to the bottom and we were in so much pain and we were so exhausted that we couldn't make it to the top. And we had to ask some stranger for a ride. And it was like this eye opening, like hitting rock bottom kind of feeling and, that was in the fall of 2012 and, and I think it was January of 2013. We're like, all right, we're going to do this.
0: That's awesome.
1: I think in like 13 months I had dropped from almost 400 pounds to 225 pounds. Hell yeah. She had lost like 60 pounds, you know, we're both in like great shape and, but we didn't really know anything about nutrition and like we had lost all this weight, but then we didn't know like how to stop dieting. Oh, right. So there was like this period of time where like I put like 50 pounds back on in two months, like almost immediately. And she put on a little bit of weight and then we learned how to kind of lose it all again come this next spring. And so it's been this battle of like losing it all spring and summer and then like gaining a little bit of weight back in the winter and then Uh -uh. losing it all again. But through that kind of journey of losing the weight and being more active and going hiking is kind of how I really found – my passion for photography and in particular, like waterfall stuff. Yeah. You know, because we lived in the Finger Lakes, everywhere you turn almost, there's a waterfall. And I mean, I had already kind of been into photography a little bit because I was writing articles, technical articles for uh, a couple of fishing magazines Okay. at the time. And I was kind of getting into like macro type stuff to help with my articles. And, you know, every time we'd go out hiking, I would just bring a camera along and then that kind of spitballed into like wildlife photography in winter time. We would just kind of sit on, sit in the living room and like shoot birds on the trees through the window. <laughs> <laughs> and then the spring yeah. came, and the spring came, and we're hiking a lot. And I'm like, all right, I'll bring the camera. And then I got into waterfalls, and then it just kind of spiraled out of control from there. And then it kind of fast forward a couple of years to last year when we, dis- you know, I had gone to Maine in the fall before met up with Aaron okay you know hung out with those guys for a little while yeah and you know I really got obsessed with night photography just in the week I was there like i had always been interested in it but then like being there and being in such a dark place that was so different from New York I was like completely inspired and I loved Maine and in all actuality if my girlfriend didn't or liked Maine more, we'd be living there right now. I can almost guarantee it. Cause I loved it so much.
0: Well, I don't know, man. Moab's a pretty, pretty awesome spot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and actually it's funny how the whole Moab thing happened because last year I was trying to plan another photo trip and I was planning on going back to Maine by myself because we had already been to Maine. She didn't want to go again, but Aaron was tied up with a workshop. Garrett was tied up with a workshop, John and, uh, Jared were tied up in a workshop. So That's, I was just like or Ben. And yeah, I was like So we're I
0: talking was, Jared um Aaron Priest and Garrett Evans and just for the listeners I guess.
1: Yeah. Um oh well, sorry. Yeah, I should probably include last names. But uh they were all tied up with the work, work workshops and I didn't want to go out there alone and just kind of be like alone. So I was like, "All right, I'm not going to go to Maine. Um I had Kind of become Facebook friends with this young younger kid from uh Salt Lake City, Provo area, Okay. and he's another phenomenal night photographer, and he is extraordinarily gifted. His name is Derek Sturman. Okay, I think um, I've seen his name around. Yeah, yeah, he's so awesome. He's my he's 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 like my best friend. um Younger kid, but he's so raw, naturally talented. It, it blows my mind sometimes, but. um I, he, he was like, well, just come to Utah. He's like, you know, him and another younger kid, uh, Christian Nielsen, you know, we kind of threw it together. They had camping gear we could borrow. So we just hopped on a plane and flew out here <laughs> and, uh, camped. We spent like three or four days in Moab and then we went down to Zion and, uh, Zion was amazing too. Like it was a toss up for me, either Moab or Springdale. Okay. But Moab seemed a little bit more realistic, and we liked it here. We liked Arches, and I love Canyonlands. I actually prefer Canyonlands over Arches. But we were here for a week. You know, barely slept. I slept for like an hour a day because we were out shooting every night, shooting sunrise every morning, and then you know being up for the day to kind of explore the areas. And went back to New York, and I was just kind of like this empty shell of a person. Like (laughs) I was just. I had Wanderlust so bad. I loved Moab so much. I just loved, you know, I had never seen mountains before that. I had never seen desert cactuses. I had never known that a place existed that didn't have humidity. (laughs) You know, being in the Northeast, I mean, you're from up there. You know how it gets when in the summertime. No,
0: I'm actually not.
1: Wait, I thought you were from, I thought you moved from like that area down to Durango.
0: No, I'm originally from Colorado Springs. Um, oh
1: man, I wonder why I thought that you were from up there. Maybe it's because I that you were tight with uh Aaron and all those guys.
0: Yeah, no, I'm originally from the Springs and um I moved to Portland, Oregon about 4 years ago. And I spent 2 years there and then I moved to Durango cuz I missed okay. my I missed my mountains.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yo, yeah, well, I had never seen mountains and, you know, when we came out here, I was just like blown away by the La Salles. Oh yeah. And I was like, that's cool. You can be down in the valley in Moab and it's 110 degrees with zero humidity, which surprisingly isn't that bad when you're used to New York where it's 95 and 100% humidity. Oh,
0: for sure. For sure.
1: And then you can just drive up to the mountains and it's 50 degrees and there's snow on the ground. Yeah. So it was super cool and completely fascinated me. So, you know, surprisingly, my girlfriend was like, let's move there. And I was like, Really? Like finally? <laughs> like all these places we've gone and all the times we've talked and joked about it, it was like she was actually on board with me, and she applied for a job. I applied for a job, kind of halfheartedly because I didn't think anything would come of it. Yeah, and, right. Um, she got kind of picked up right away, and I was like, Cool, well they seemed pretty eager. I'll send them my resume too." And it did, through the course of like three or four weeks, they had shuffled my resume around. And they actually ended up, like, making a position for me because of my mechanical engineering manufacturing background. Um, and she's a biologist, so she got snatched up for quality department. They made a position for me, which is, like, manufacturing engineer slash production supervisor. Um,
0: <laughs> That's awesome, man.
1: Which was awesome because it, you know, instantly gave us a way to make living out here possible.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but the next hardest part was finding a place to live. Right. You know, we've got a dog and a cat, and there's no way that we would give up either one of them just to live here. So it was either either we were going to come here and live in our car (laughs) and just try to make it, or we were going to find a house. And they ended up flying us out for our final interviews. Like, we had 36 hours in Moab. We flew in in an evening, and we were here for a whole next day, and then we flew out at 5 o'clock the next morning. Wow. And yeah. In that in that time we had to find a place to live. Oh yeah. And, and Moab doesn't have a Craigslist.
0: Nope, neither does Durango.
1: Yeah, so the nearest one <laughs> is like Grand Junction and yeah. so we're like look find we're just like digging the internet to the just the the depths and could not find any place to live. I mean, we found a couple and they were like crazy out of our price range. It was like $1500 for a one bedroom house with like First, last month's rent, security deposit, crazy pet deposit. And it's like, I don't know how we're going to pull this off. Right. Um, And when we were here, we had our interview, which took like eight hours. (laughs) Yeah. And we, we went and looked at a couple houses. They weren't really what we wanted or what we could afford. So we just started hopping around to the realty agencies in town and Got really lucky. We went to like four of them. The last one, some girl must have been eavesdropping and she came out from the back and she's like, we're like literally walking out the door with our heads hanging like, all right, I guess Moab's not going (laughs) to happen. And she came out from the back and she's like, hey, I overheard you guys talking. I rent a house privately. I'm moving out in July. And I'm like, really? If we started, we would be starting work on July 18th. She was moving out on the 9th.
0: That's crazy.
1: So she's like, all right, well, here's my landlord's number. And interestingly enough, he is a New York-born guy that lives here just outside of Moab in Castle Valley. So I was like, all right, I'm from New York. Maybe this will give me some points. Um, Called the guy up. We chatted on the phone for 15, 20 minutes. And he had a good enough feeling about me to agree to rent us the place. (coughs) So we immediately – sorry, my dog's going nuts. So immediately – we drove over here because the girl's like, yeah, I'm getting out of work in 20 minutes. You can come look at the house. So we came over and we looked at the house and it was, like, amazing. Like, landscaped, manicured, backyard, front yard, two bedrooms, full basement. Like, twice the si- twice the room we had in New York for, like, what we were paying for an apartment in New York.
0: That's, dude, isn't that crazy when, like, just everything comes together? Like, I had a really similar experience uh, moving to Portland and moving here to Durango like because Durango is kind of the same way like there's just no housing and it's super expensive and yeah, there's no Craigslist so like you kind of have to have like secret back channel knowledge of what's right. available <laughs> and like wait, m- my company that I I applied for one job in Durango and I got it <laughs> and then uh, they flew me out for my interview and like, same thing. Like I looked at like two houses and then I like two hours before I got my job offer, the house that we wanted, the guy already rented to somebody else. Oh no. So then we, fortunately the other place, the guy like kind of saved it for us cause we were a, this is kind of a small college town and he didn't want to rent to many more college kids. So he was like, oh, you're a family. I'd rather rent to a family than a bunch of college kids again. So he just kind of saved it for us, and we just got super lucky. Wow. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy living in this part of the country sometimes, like how expensive it is and how hard it is to find housing and work. And So what is your – I think I remember seeing a post from you that's saying, like, you were getting pretty close to transitioning into more f- full-time photography work. Is that something that's going to be a reality for you?
1: Um, not as soon as I had hoped it would be. um, yeah. I was kind of like you know mainly mostly driven by m- the hatred for my day job, sure. but you know more realistically, like in order to make it work, like I want to set myself up to be able to afford to live comfortably still, but you know potentially make less money. Uh huh. So. You know, my original goal was to be out of my job by July of this year and be just full-time photography. But a lot of things kind of have to fall into place, you know, one of which, booking all my workshops, which has proven to be harder than I hoped.
0: Yeah, man, it's, I don't know, like, that's a pretty saturated market, it seems like.
1: It is. And, you know, the problem is that everyone and their brother from outside of Utah...
0: Yeah, they want to go to Arch and...
1: Yeah. And it's, it's difficult. Like, you know, in most, in the, the worst part is, is that most of those guys aren't going through the proper channels. They're not getting their permits. They're not, yeah. you know, they're not an official LLC. You know, they're, they don't have their insurance. They don't have the CPR and first aid.
0: Right. 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 You know,
1: they're, it's just, it's a nightmare. And like, there's so many workshops that blow through here that do that. in it, it takes away not only from me because I do, you know, I am legit. I do have permits. I do have insurance, you know, and none of that is cheap. Like I've got Zion, Arches, Canyonlands, a bunch of BLM offices. Like I've got a couple grand just in permit fees. Oh, I believe it. So I remember
0: I was going to try to do a workshop a couple of years ago at the Sand Dunes, and I, I, you know, I wasn't like – Teaching workshops isn't really my thing anyway, but I mean I like to do it but it's not like I advertise it or anything right. like that. And I remember I I had a contact at the National Park Service at for the National Sand Dunes. Great Great National Sand Dunes and Yep. And I asked them, So what's the process like? And they were like, Well, you have to do this, you have to do that and I, and I was like, Nope. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> It sucked because I had to, like, reestablish my business here in Utah because I didn't know at the time in New York that if you have your business in New York and you've established your LLC and you're, you're domiciled in New York, that when you move and you're trying to conduct business outside of New York and you're, you're, like, permanently doing that, you have to, like, pay, like, royalties or whatever, like, back to New York. And I was like, screw that. Like, <laughs> That's in, wild. In a year, I'll pay more money back to New York than it would cost me to just reestablish in like Florida, Nevada, and Delaware are like, I don't know what you would call the them in like in this sense, but you can register and establish your LLC in any of those three states, but operate freely anywhere in the country for any period of time. Huh. So I reestablished in Delaware just because it's Delaware, and I didn't really care because all three of them are the same, but... So I had to reestablish my LLC. Then I had to go through CPR and first aid recertification. Right, which isn't you cheap. Know. Then you have to get workshop-specific insurance, which if you've ever looked into it, it is there's only like one, one insurance provider that will actually cover workshops. And it's this uh, Howard – it's Allstate with Howard, and it's Howard Berkowitz, and he's out of Salt Lake. And it's this insurance guy who – you know jointly with Allstate kind of built this program for photographers and workshops. Yeah. Where they'll cover your business like your general liability business insurance, they'll cover your gear and your workshops. And the National Park Service requires that you have at least a $1 million general liability policy. Right. So there's another humongous chunk of money and then you've got
0: well, it's no wonder people aren't doing it,
1: right? Yeah, and it's totally made sense. I was like, Jesus, like I should just say screw it all and just do what everyone else is doing. Yeah,
0: but then I mean, I've heard of people. I can't remember the dude's name, but I mean, every once in a while they'll catch people and oh yeah, ban them from the park.
1: And they're cracking down on it too. Like oh, I remember, for sure. I, I remember when I first moved here, I started advertising workshops, like knowing that I was going to go through the process of getting all this insurance permit stuff figured out. Uh huh. Um, and I got a, I got a very quickly, got an email from the national park service that was basically cease and desist. Like if you don't stop advertising, they were under the impression that I had already done it, that i had already taught workshops
0: oh, yeah. like,
1: illegally. And I responded to this email and I was like, no, like I haven't, like, this is insane. Like you're basing this threat on like zero evidence at all. Basically, I wrote a blog post about my vacation out here in May and the guy at the National Park Service who ended up, you know, he's a great guy and we have a good relationship now. He read my blog and I guess he was already under the impression that I was teaching workshops. So when he read the blog, it read as if I was like wrapping up a workshop and Uh was recapping it. So he sent me this email and he's like, don't worry, I probably send 20 of these out a day. (laughs) All he does is scan the internet for workshops and then compare those names to his list of permit holders. Oh yeah, that makes sense. So he's like, he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, you would, you'd be amazed at how many people do this, but they're really cracking down on it. I guess they've upped their enforcement. They've got more, uh, more rangers in the parks. Well, I think you know, that's.
0: I mean, I'm a, I'm a pretty, I'm pretty big into conservation and. Oh yeah. For respecting and leave no trace and all that, so I, I'm, I'm all about like, make restricting the amount of access that people have for commercial use of pretty right. much any natural area in my opinion. I it's uh I mean I talked to I think it was Aaron about this too, but like I've just I've seen the devastation that's caused by people that bring large groups into areas for workshops. Oh yeah. Or or, or the side effect of workshops, which is um places get super popular because of right because they see photos of that and they want to emulate those photos which is all fine and dandy but then it causes all this damage and destruction and oh and then you have more people there and then it like there's nothing worse than going somewhere to take photos and there's like 20 other photographers that are like that's yeah. like, the worst
1: yeah it does For suck me, and it's <laughs> and then, and, then, and then i like think about that and i'm like jesus i just moved to you know like Moab, which is the
0: workshop capital of the world.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, why why did I think this was a good idea? But I'm hoping that eventually I'll kind of establish myself as I would like my workshops to end up being a little bit more adventure based, you know, getting a little bit further away from the stuff that you see or where that every other workshop goes. Like I've got a workshop in May that's down in the Badlands in New Mexico. Uh Uh-huh. Um, and it was a nightmare getting a permit for that place, but hmm. I managed to do it.
0: Is that yeah. how is that managed down there? Is it a, like a it's,
1: it's Navajo land? Oh, okay. So it's the Bis- Bisti Danaze Wilderness. So it's, it's technically oh, okay, federal right. land, but it's managed by the Navajo. So yeah,
0: I, I've actually shot down there a couple times.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. I love that place. Me too. It's but super it's, fun. It, it's not, you know, it's not your typical workshop where you're just driving around. You know, you go there and I'm. No, you hiking. have to
0: wander around. I mean, it's yeah. pretty easy hiking, but it's, I mean, it's you can cover a lot of distance.
1: Yeah, and there's just so much to see, and you know, there's so much uniqueness there that it would be. Oh,
0: it's so cool.
1: It's hard to take two, you know, to for two people to take the same image there. I mean, other unless you go to like the cracked eggs, or you know, yeah. that's probably the most well-known, or king of wings, or.
0: Yeah, I went to, well, I've never even found King of Wings.
1: It's actually outside of, like, the main area. Oh, okay. I I, I got lucky and stumbled across some GPS
0: Yeah, I found some GPS coordinates for the other wings, and I went there, and I was like, this isn't the same thing. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, no, not the same.
0: Yeah, I remember, so last March, I went down there. So, well, let me back up. I went down there, like, last February with my, my parents and my wife, or I guess it was trying to remember, my wife and my son, I think, came with us, and we just basically wandered around, And I, but I took uh, my cell phone, and I used Gaia GPS to, like, mark all these coordinates up so that I could basically know where I was going in the dark, and then I came back in March when it was complete and pitch black, and I left my house at midnight here in Durango, and I drove down there. And uh, using Gaia GPS on my phone, I found my spots that I wanted to shoot the Milky Way at. Yeah, <laughs> it was awesome. fun. Like it's such a cool spot. I love this guy Like it's and like not many people know about it either. Yeah, surprise! We just we just fucked that up.
1: Yeah, right now it's uh, now it's everywhere. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny actually. Do you know you know Jesse Moran?
0: uh yeah i do yeah i know i know the name i know the name
1: it's funny we we had been facebook friends for a long time but never met in person and uh we were out there and we were like the first night we got there really late because we took somebody's directions and could not find the road so we we literally just were like drove around for hours and drove like completely around the entire wilderness area and (laughs) like did did a giant circle and you know there's hardly any service out there but we eventually found the parking lot And, uh, so we just literally just pitched a tent in the parking lot and we woke up the next, we woke up the next morning and there was like several other people camping, like right around the parking lot. And, uh, you know, we're, we're getting everything ready at the car, getting ready to hike back. We, we kind of just started chatting with this other group of people that, you know, just so happened to have a GPS and a bunch of waypoints. So we kind of hiked around with them for a little while. We had our dog, they had their dog, you know, it was fine. And, uh. We're there for like two days. We get back. I start posting, you know, processing and getting a couple images posted. And then Jesse chimes in. He's like, when was this? Like, I was just there this weekend. And, and he's like, I was in a silver SUV in a white T-shirt in that parking lot. And I was like, no shit, man. Like, I saw you. He's like, I recognize your dog. I just wasn't sure if it was you or not. And I was that's like, man, so what? Funny. What a small world! And now he and I have become great friends. And he's actually flying out from California next week to do reflection with us. But uh, that's cool. He is such a cool dude, man. He's so laid back and so f- always up for adventure. Um, yeah, he's he's a great guy. Nice. But uh, yeah, Bisty's awesome. I can't wait. But I'm kind of hoping that I can stray you know like once i've got myself established in workshops and you know I'm, i want to stray away from doing you know arches and canyonlands every damn month forever right you know like I'm, i'll still advertise a couple of them a year just because people come here they want they want to see the icons they want to go to those places but i don't want that to be the reason that i do workshops right i want to you know get people off the grid hike up to some alpine lakes go to the places that Hardly anybody goes for workshops, um, but I think that's going to make make it harder to book my workshops. But. It
0: is. Um, that's something that Erin and I talked about because she she says a lot of her like more technical, challenging workshops like it's a lot harder to get people to sign yeah. up. Yeah, I remember one time when I used to teach small workshops in Colorado Springs for a local. It was like a like a meetup group. So it wasn't really workshops, but it kind of was. I, uh, I, I remember I I did a quote unquote workshop at this area there called Palmer Park, and it was like a night night photography workshop, and it was like a two mile hike and like maybe five hundred feet of elevation gain, and I posted all that in the like the description and everything like you need to be in pretty good shape to do this because we're gonna be hiking in the dark and like and I had like. Fifteen people sign up, and like there were so many people that like had n- you could just tell like it was so uncomfortable for them just to do a even a short hike like that. So I was like, huh? How do you, how would you? I guess properly warn people not to sign up if they are not physically capable of doing it. You know what I mean?
1: Right. Um, I've kind of been thinking, kind of thinking lately, like
0: the liability.
1: I was kind of thinking along the lines of like, you know, when you, when somebody contacts you about being interested in a workshop, you, you can send them a survey and, you know, kind right. of, you know, this is what we're going to be doing. You know, what are your fit? What is your fitness level? What is your conditioning like? Um, I, but I just haven't, I haven't really been able to nail like a real solid process down yeah to to you know so like not surprisingly I haven't booked anyone for my BISTI workshop I had a guy and his wife that were like so interested um but it's just bad timing with their schedule she's a teacher oh, um right. so I'm kind of bummed out because that that's like the workshop I'm most excited about
0: yeah, but no doubt.
1: You know what? If it doesn't book, I'm going to go anyway. Heck yeah. You know what? It doesn't matter to me. Whatever. But you know, it's that kind of thing that's, you know, I'm kind of torn between this want and need to have more and lead more unique workshops. Yeah. And wanting to make a full time living on workshops.
0: Yeah, it's not easy, man.
1: Yeah, like that's I, true. I almost feel like you know, not just the fact that I'm not booking workshops because I want them to be more adventure-based, but, like, going back to the other conversation that everyone and their brother comes here and teaches a workshop. You know, you've got, you know, Mike Taylor comes in and teaches a really popular workshop. He's Uh been doing it for a lot of years. You know, Darren White and the other guy that he teaches with. Mike Berenson. Yep, they come out here and teach a workshop, you know, and that's just to name a couple of those guys. And, you know, for every two of them, there's 30 other ones that are you know, who knows? I don't know. You know, I, I try to not pay attention because it just aggravates me. But, you know, like I eventually, you know, I'm going to carve this niche for myself. I'm I'm too determined and I'm too stubborn to let it defeat me. But yeah, that is definitely the goal. You
0: have to be persistent for sure. Right. Uh, last year when Mike was in town in the area did, for that workshop, he and I had a couple of beers together and we were just talking about how that works for him and the workshops and stuff. I mean, it's a grind for sure. Yeah. But, uh, so one of, one of the other things I wanted to kind of talk to you about was, um, your processing is super clean, I feel like. Um, cause you know, I've noticed like you do a really good job of incorporating like really powerful foreground elements and then, you you know, you have the right amount of night sky. Um, and I wanted to kind of talk to you about like how, what's your kind of approach to, blending those two components and then how did you kind of learn to develop that vision
1: um honestly like in terms of how i learned to develop that vision i really don't even know where that came from like to sit here and think about you know how my night photography has evolved i i can't like distinguish any one image or period of time where i was just like had that aha moment um Mm -hmm. I think because I'm very, like, technical-minded that I wanted to make everything as hard as I possibly could for myself. Sure. <laughs> I, I, don't know, I don't know why I would torture myself like that, but I think that's kind of where the, the, the techniques I used kind of spawned from. And I remember I started out shooting with, like, just a Nikon D5100, and uh-huh. that's, what I, that's what I started shooting night stuff on. And immediately, I was just like, "Like, why does my fo- why do my photos look
0: terrible at ISO yeah. 3200?
1: I was like, "Why is my picture just one big magenta p- pixel?" Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't understand why it's so bad. And you know, I started learning a little bit about like, you know, exposure in, in night photography, and you know, exposing to the right uh-huh. or like you know, different processes for noise reduction and like nothing would ever like satisfy my vision, you know, like, okay, I'm taking a super long exposure at night, I'm taking 10 minute exposures, still looks like crap. Um, You know, even if it was noiseless, because I shot it at ISO 400 for 25 minutes, or, you know, just throwing it out there. Sure. Um, You know, it's still flat, there's no detail, there's no contrast. You know, and I guess to some people that's fine, you know, that, but to me, like, in my night imagery, I don't always want the stars or the Milky Way to be the focal point of the image. So right, I started kind of refining that technique and, you know, then I kind of got interested in, like, stacking for noise reduction. And then mm-hmm. that kind of got me thinking about, all right, if I'm stacking and now I'm stacking separately for the foreground and separately for the sky... Like, what if I went to a location, planned my shot, you you know, used photo pills, photographers and Ferris, you know, and got familiar with the rise and fall of the Milky Way, you know, I could go to a location, shoot my foreground at blue hour, not, not move anything and then shoot the sky.
0: Yeah. I've been doing a lot more of that too. Like blue hour blending is so fucking cool.
1: Yeah. And then it was just like, all of a sudden My images like went from you know way down here in in terms of my taste to all right like this is like this is like what I'm seeing like this is what my vision was and you know then I kind of from there I was like all right well instead of just shooting one high ISO exposure for the sky I'm gonna shoot ten of them stack them together because I'm gonna blend anyway and. You know, then at first I was like, all right, well, this is more matching my vision. But, you know, at nighttime with your eyes, you've got like fall off, you know, the the distant background is always going to be darker. Sure. So, you know, I'm looking around at all these other, you know, images that are kind of using the same technique where somebody either shot a crazy long exposure. I'm not going to say his, his name, but it rhymes with uh, Dave Lane. Um <laughs> You know, where you, you've—it's you, clear that he's taken like a, you know, an enormously long exposure for the foreground. It's completely flat. There's no shadows, um, and then he just blends in the sky. And I'm like, all right, well, this just immediately looks wonky to me because it's the same exposure all the way through the image in the foreground. Sure, and it's like that—that that would never happen in real life. So. I didn't, I never wanted to like pull the wool over anybody's eyes when I made a blended shot and say that, you know, yes, this is a composite, but to me, this is like what I would see with my eyes, you know, like I'm seeing the Milky Way, I'm seeing some foreground detail, but. It's pitch black in the background, and so All I right. started. I started fooling around with blue hour blends, and I would shoot, you know, my immediate foreground at blue hour, and then I would wait and wait a little bit later for blue hour and take another shot for my background, and then I would wait again for my Milky Way. So, a big majority of my night images now are like not just two images, but sometimes three or four images. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, so you're focus stacking sometimes, which that's the other part I like about blue hour is that you can shoot at a much smaller aperture and you know, you don't have to worry about focus stacking and you can add that extra depth to your image.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, it's not, you know, like Aaron priest is amazing at the depth that he gets with, you know, shooting his night stuff at F two And I remember him just like absolutely melting my face off with the, the calculations that he was using for, you know, like, like basic trigonometry stuff and how it applied to depth of field and stuff. And I was just yeah. like, my mind just was instantly blown. And I'm like, all right, well, if you have your tripod six feet up in the air, and you're shooting at F2A, and then you're using hyperfocal distance, everything from, you know, one and a half feet to infinity is sharp. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, like, this is insane. And it makes complete sense now. And, um, but that's kind of the other thing I like about blending um so you've got you know super clean foreground that you can you know push around without bringing in tons of noise um and then you're you know you shoot multiple images for your sky and stack them together and blend it all so like it it, to me it completely fits to my vision and it also helps with like i'm really anal and i'm really like a compulsive you know, like obsessive compulsive about things. And when I can look at one of my night images and like not see any noise at all, it like totally just fills my heart with happiness. (laughs) And it it never really kind of came to fruition for me until my art show this weekend when I had like four or five of my, my blended night images. Yeah. um, Printed 30 inches tall. And, you know, I've got my nose to the glass and I can't see any noise
0: yeah that's, you know? it's cool man like yeah it's so funny though because um i think I, I have this similar conversation with a lot of people but it's um <laughs> so many people that have differing opinions on the quote-unquote eth- ethicalness of right blending and stuff like that and at the end of the day it's like do what do what works for you and it's all about art anyway and yeah and um and then the other thing I've noticed is, like, the only people that tend to give a shit about that stuff and, and noise and all kinds of that kind of stuff are other photographers. Right. <laughs> like, most of the time, your customers don't care. Right. Yeah, that's I mean, if exactly you're selling right. prints, which isn't the goal always for photography, but I, I would say if your goal is to sell prints being a perfectionist is like probably not necessary (laughs)
1: right yeah i know like you know it takes being your own worst critic to kind of an unnecessary level
0: it it does um and i i've personally like i don't know i i have a full-time job and i have a wife and i have a son and like other hobbies too so like the amount of time spent perfecting all of that stuff for me is like it's just like to me it's not worth it for myself but if i were going to teach workshops and like really just like blow the pants off of people in the on the computer like in a workshop setting i would you have to know like all the best techniques and stuff like that so i think it just depends on what you want to do with your art you know
1: right yeah and you know Sometimes I get a little bit nervous talking about my process because I know that there's, you know, all those, all those people out there that are sitting there listening to this that are like, okay, so this guy doesn't do anything but composite technically. Right, right. But for me, that's, there's a, like a very fine line between what I do and what I would consider a composite. Like to me, when I think of composite, I think of a picture of, you know, a known landmark with a sky, you know, like say somebody's, you know, and I've seen this far too many times, but you know, say it's a picture of delicate arch, but they've taken a milky way shot in New Zealand and blended it together. Oh, sure. You know, or like a or like a an icon that is impossible to shoot the milky way at, but they they threw a milky way in there. Right. You know, like that's what I think of when I think of a composite and I see so many of those that are just so poorly done technic, te- technic, technique technique technique-wise and uh you know, not just technique-wise, but you know, more, more morality wise, (laughs) but you know, in the beginning, like I'm of getting into night photography, I'm looking at all these images and I'm like, I don't know what's real and what's not like, You know, I'm going to, somebody's going to chase down this location that you threw a Milky Way into. And and don't get me wrong, when I first got into night photography and I was like teaching myself blending and, you know, learning all these different blending and masking techniques, I did some composites. And I remember, I remember I did a composite of the Milky Way at Portland Head Lighthouse and I had no idea what I was doing. Um, And, you know, Aaron Priest was like, oh, that's cool, man. But then there was like a few other guys that just completely tore me apart. right and you know it like it made me it whipped me into shape so fast but i learned a lot about you know masking effectively and accurately about doing those kind of things incidentally enough for like two years that was like by far my most like popular image print wise
0: well that's what i was gonna say is like my most the photo i've sold the most copies of is a composite (laughs) yeah
1: and you know like I have friends that do a lot of compositing and it's like I get kind of sad sometimes because I'm like, dude, you've got so many amazing like real images that you don't need to composite. But if that's what somebody wants to do, like if that's where their art takes them and that's what they they love about photography, then, you know, who, who am I or who is anybody to say like what is right or wrong for them to do?
0: yeah totally i mean and and it's okay to have an opinion that says that people shouldn't do that i'm not right, saying they shouldn't but if that's someone's opinion that's their opinion that's like what's i the beautiful thing about art
1: <laughs> yeah it's t- completely subjective and yeah. but i mean me yeah. personally i completely kind of strayed away from the compositing in my definition of compositing sure um to where now? Like I, I only make images that could could happen in real life. Like I don't want I don't want to send somebody on a wild goose chase, um, looking for this composition that is is isn't impo- That isn't possible. Uh-huh. Um, I just I like to make nice images with good, powerful, strong, vibrant foregrounds and incorporate the night sky in in a real sense. You know, something that's more indicative of what you see with your eyes.
0: Yeah, no, I mean my opinion like if that's the goal of your imagery then do it
1: yeah and and you know like most of the time the feedback is really positive like i had you know probably 300 people come through my art show this this past saturday and there was every single comment i heard every question i was asked was like complete fascination um I would say that 99% of the people that came through were just not photographers. So for them to go and see, like, the Milky Way rising over the Watchmen mountain and Zion over the Virgin it's... River, like, they were just blown away. Yeah. And to me, that made me feel awesome because that's what kind of feeling I want to evoke with my artwork. I want people to look at it and just be like, whoa.
0: Yeah. No, that's... Oh. That's kind but of then, my my goal, too, is of with a lot of my photography is, like, I just, I don't know. Like, well, part of it is I, I pretty much only shoot for myself now. Otherwise, like, I find myself ed- taking and editing photos that I'm, like, not, it's, like, not me. You know what I mean? Right. Like you're, you're doing it for, for social popularity or for right. free sales and that. Let's be honest, like... There's very few of us making a shit ton of money on print sales. So. Yeah, that's
1: absolutely true. <laughs> so like, and you know what? I think that's the the inner struggle that I find myself in the most is not, necess- not, not making images for popularity's sake, but I'll be out in the field somewhere and I'll be like, all right, well, you know, I sell prints in the shops downtown in Moab. Right. Like, do I make this image for me or do I make this image to sell a few prints of it to the Taurus? Yeah. And it's, it's a really tough struggle for me. Because and have you noticed
0: the difference in how you approach a photo when you're doing it for one of those reasons or the other?
1: Um, I am more so now, but in the beginning I didn't because I was trying to make images I liked and that inspired me. Yeah. And then tried to sell them and they never sold. Right. <laughs> so it's like, all right, I had to like kind of, you know, just make these really simple compositions, like just delicate arch of the Milky way. Like I, I, that shot inspired me and it, it sells well, but like it's that kind of thing, like sunrise at Mesa arch, like wasn't the most inspiring photo to me. It was cool being there and cool seeing it. And I think you and I talked about this before, um, yeah. But, but it was like, this might sell a few copies. And it was like that. It was a really tough thing for me to do, especially processing wise, because I was like, all right, yeah, it looks good enough. Like this looks good enough to sell, but like I need to make it, I need to make it better. And I was really worried that making it better was going to make it less appealing to, well, making it better to me. Uh, let's not say better, but making it for me was going to like prevent people from buying it. Um, like I don't post on like Facebook and social media for popularity, but it's nice to get reactions out of my imagery. Sure. But like, like I said, I think my biggest struggle is when I'm in the field, do I focus on shooting for me today or do I go out there and just try to make a couple cheesy shots for the (laughs) Taurus? Right. Um, and I still haven't kind of found that balance yet. Like I, I'd say probably every fourth or fifth time I go out shooting, I might make one or two images that I could sell. Mhm. Yeah. Or that I that I think might sell, and sometimes it's not even that good of a ratio. So
0: Well, you definitely have a pretty awesome collection of night shots for sure. Well, I'm just I'm actually you on your website right now looking at some of them. I'm just like like I would be super proud of pretty much every one of these mm-hmm. shots personally, so
1: No, oh, thanks, man.
0: Yeah, they're great. They're f- fucking awesome.
1: <laughs> I um, I try to I try to make unique images, and you know sometimes if it if it's not a unique image, like how many times have you seen the Milky Way over the Virgin River in Zion and Watchman Mountain in Zion? Like I've seen it dozens of times, but yeah, when I went there and shot it, it wasn't like I wasn't thinking about those other images, and I made that image, and you know I stood on that bridge for three damn hours to make that one image. i believe it and you know i'm shoulder to shoulder with like three dozen people and it's still to me like i kind of just phase them all out and i'm just focused on these yellow cottonwoods and the rivers the rivers flowing underneath me and you know i'm sitting there and i'm like i want to make this image like exactly how i see it with my eyes and you know visualize the the final outcome and you know this is going to sound weird and this isn't like my main motivation, but I was like, I want to make this image the best version of this scene that has ever been done.
0: Uh, no, that's a good, good, good way to go about it.
1: You know, cause I've seen so many of them and so many of them I'll look at and I'll just like pick apart and I'm like, well, I would have done that a little bit differently. I would have blended this a little bit better. Or, sure. You know, I would have waited a little bit longer in blue hour to shoot this cause the lights just not right.
0: Yeah. I would say, your, your version and John Secord, his version are probably the two of the best I've seen for sure.
1: Yeah. His is killer. I remember seeing his the first time and I was like, where is this place? Cause I, <laughs> he, he had, he came out to Zion like way before I ever, like Utah was even on my radar. Yeah. 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 And I was like, you know, he kind of, I think he did his with like a 50 or something. Cause I remember, I, I think I remember his Milky Way being like way bigger and the compression was way bigger and
0: yeah maybe he did with a like maybe a, yeah i'm not sure maybe, maybe a 35 him.
1: or something i can't remember but um i remember just seeing his and i was like god damn like that is a cool scene like you've got a mountain you've got a river you got a milky way like that's cool as hell
0: hell yeah man
1: yeah i think it was like the first time that i had really seen a milky way shot where somebody actually paid attention to what was in the foreground right and I was just like blown away by his work, and like he's still an inspiration to me, like even though my work has kind of gone a little bit different direction in terms of like my style sure. um like looking back at his stuff is still like super cool to me, like I'm excited to see like what he does, yeah this year um
0: yeah, me too um, but so one of the questions I like to ask people on the show, which you probably have heard a couple of times now is um based off the i don't know if you well you probably do but the title of the podcast is f-stop collaborate and listen based off the vanilla ice song yeah of course (laughs) so um what does that uh particular um phrase mean to you in terms of what advice you might give for other photographers
1: um Something I've noticed like, and I've brought up a few times and I kind of get bashed for it pretty hard on Facebook is (laughs) that there is a a lot of ego-driven, arrogant photographers out there that I'm just now learning after all this time to not really let bother you. Yeah. um, Because it'll completely consume you and then you'll start like – either you'll go two different directions with it you'll either break down and like pull away from photography and it'll like you'll start to hate it because of these people that are so negative and and arrogant or you'll start like looking for what's the word um Oh, I can't think of the word, but you'll start like looking for their approval in your images. Yeah, validation. And, 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 or, yeah, validation. Yeah. And yeah. neither one of those is, is a healthy thing. I think if you're, you know, if you're truly in photography to create art, like don't, don't get too caught up on other people. And, you know, I try not to, but every once in a while, it's just so overwhelming to me how many just huge assholes there are out there in the photography world.
0: Oh yeah, completely. And
1: it's hard for me to keep my mouth shut, but then you get all those people that like I have clearly have some guilty consciences or like know a little bit that they're that way and won't admit it. Well,
0: I've talked um, to a few of those people before cuz I'm I'm actually friends with a few people that are like that and it's They've told me like they just can't help themselves like they're 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 so passionate about the craft of photography, yeah, and they're so like in their opinion, whatever it is they're critiquing, like it crosses a line for them, and then, yeah, like just today, so i I've mentioned this in my other podcast interviews, but I'm in this like really small secret group on Facebook, it's kind of dumb, but it's a good entertainment sometimes it's. I think it was the first time it was called drop a moon in and it was all about like just super. I'm in
1: that that group. Oh yeah. So like, you know,
0: and just today someone posted this Milky Way, I think it's a composite and it doesn't look bad. Like I've seen much, much, much worse composites. I think I have my own (laughs) that are much, much worse of my own. And I was just like, you know, like I don't think this photo deserves to be, bashed so harshly this way i mean is it a composite probably but is it like a like the you know is it a it takes up it's a moon dropped into a scene like in a cityscape where the moon is like half the fucking size of the city you know like one of those scenes where the moon was like enlarged like 500 percent it's not like that um and I think they even said it was a composite in the post. So I was like, "Yeah, they said it was a composite. Who cares?"
1: Yeah, and then people are still tearing them apart.
0: Yeah, it's like, like why? It's just so interesting to me. Like how, it's just some people can't fuck up themselves. They yeah, don't I don't know, it. and
1: it's it's easy to get like caught up in that too, because it's like totally. You're like, all right. You're jumping on the bandwagon and you're tearing this person apart, and then you're like, wait, I'm being an asshole. Yeah, exactly. And then by, by by then, the damage is done, and now you look like a huge asshole, but you didn't mean to. And
0: well, and it's like you don't uh, you don't remember what it feels like on the receiving end, right? Which is so funny because I think none of us like it when people are like bashing our work, <laughs> but we do it to each other all the time.
1: <laughs> I think. I think. F stop collaborate and listen. What what I could say that might mean the most would be you know, focus on the collaborate part, you know, like help each other out. You know, don't become so ego driven and self centered that you forget that you started somewhere once. Yeah, absolutely. You know? That's and great advice it it seems to me like there's these like little groups and these little cliques that just like like it's kind of like when i first moved here to utah like a couple people kind of reached out and were like hey welcome to utah we should get together sometime uh-huh. hasn't happened hasn't happened one time um there's just like this group of photographers not just utah but everywhere that sticks together and like they don't like outsiders you know they'll go out and do their own thing but like you're not allowed you're not you know yeah. what i mean i think it's, and it's
0: human nature though i mean it's part of just how we're wired to to um so just funny little thing about me to for you to know about <laughs> i have uh my master's degrees in clinical psychology so uh-huh. i spend a lot of time thinking about like why people do certain things or why people behave certain ways and one of my favorite um one of my favorite topics in undergrad was social psychology and you learn all about like those in group out group dynamics and it's unfortunately man it's just the way we're wired
1: yeah i know <laughs> it's there's there's like
0: we're tribal
1: <laughs> yeah it's true and you know sometimes it sucks you know when you want to be accepted and you want you know that camaraderie or whatever but
0: yeah yeah
1: it is what it is, you know, and it's kind of always going to be there. So you kind of just got to deal with it. But
0: Uh, I mean, just because that's the way we're wired doesn't mean we can't change our behavior or do something different. If we, you know, like to your point, like reach out and help people if they ask for help or, you know, like try to stay focused on the positive Mm -hmm. side of like, maybe someone's photo sucks, but like, how can you help them constructively to get better at the craft
1: right yeah right on and you know it's like there's always kind of like that fine line you know and i've been i've been totally guilty of this where like i'll be so proud of an image and i'll post it in a group not looking for critiques because i'm like like, it's perfect
0: yeah this is like my
1: best image ever like everyone's gonna love this and then i just get torn to shreds and i'm like no, this is perfect. I don't want to change it. <laughs> and then, like a month later, I'll look at it and be like, "They're totally right. This is yeah. such a piece of, this is such a piece of shit." Yeah,
0: isn't that funny how that works? Yeah,
1: it's so funny. Um, so it's it's kind of a double edged sword, you know. Like you f stop collaborating, listen you you know you help try to help people constructively, but you never know when that person's not going to take it constructively. I guess.
0: I think. I think. What I've realized is like. the way to to get around all that is just to ask if the person is willing or wants critique right because if they say yeah i'm willing to hear what your thoughts are then i think generally then it's like that kind of opens the door for you to be able to say hey what why don't you try this or why don't you try that um i think when when people get the constructive criticism and they're not looking for it that's when they get blindsided and get pissed off i think i mean right. that's what i've noticed about myself anyway it's like no i i don't want you to critique my photo like i would have asked for that thank you <laughs> and there's some times where i do want you to critique my photo but this isn't one of them <laughs> right uh well that that's a great way i think to end on that note and, um the last question i have for well two last questions i have one is um what upcoming workshops do you have that you want to talk about?
1: Um, well, I have. one I just booked uh, the second to last slot for my April workshop today, so I've got one more slot left for the April twenty eighth to April thirtieth. It's a Friday and Saturday night, and Saturday and Sunday day, um, and that's Arches and Canyonlands. Okay. I think we're gonna we're gonna focus on night one. Um, kind of intro to night. Panorama photography, like single row basic panoramas. I oh, yeah. um, think we're going to hit up Mesa Arch because that's kind of a shot that I've been after for a while. Um, I just, for one reason or another, have not been able to get out there with clear skies. Right. You know, it just hasn't worked out yet. So that's going to be night one. And night two is kind of up in the air. I'm going to talk to the group and kind of be like, all right, well, you know, we can drive to a few spots or we can, like, hike up to Delicate and, you know, that'll consume our whole night. So, <laughs>
0: right.
1: day, day two is kind of always a wild card. And I kind of, like, get a feel for the group and, like, what their fitness levels are, whatever. You know, what they think they're capable of, how bad they want to shoot this particular icon, whatever. Um, so, that, I've got one spot slot left for that and I've kind of been pinging around this little like mention this ad get 50 bucks off just try to oh, fill yeah. that last slot. I saw so,
0: that on Instagram yeah.
1: Yeah if they hear this mention the, this podcast and get 50 bucks off your workshop.
0: Hey cool um, right on
1: um, but I think the one that I want to promote the most is definitely May um, Badlands? In, yeah that's the the New Mexico Badlands one and that one is going to be so much fun and it's going to be just just an awesome workshop, I think. And
0: uh, I'm looking at your website now. It's May 26th through the 28th. Yep. Cool. Yeah, May
1: 26th through the 28th. And that's, again, a Friday and Saturday. So... That one's going to be so much fun. And, and you know, like, and not all these workshops are just night photography because, you know, with the way the Milky Way phases right now, we could pretty much shoot right through sunrise. So yeah, that's, that's, we'll get absolutely. our fair share of some landscape stuff too, especially out there where there's just everywhere you look, there's something to shoot.
0: Yeah, that's what I like about shooting the Milky Way this time of year because if there's clouds and you don't get the night sky, well, you've always got sunrise.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. You yeah. want the, you know, it's like, it's the bane of our existence as night and landscape photographers. That's the worst.
0: But at you least you can cla- get one.
1: <laughs> yeah, you want clouds during the day, but you want clear skies at night. And it's right. like, I think that was the other part about living or moving out here to Utah. It's like, man, it's always perfectly cloudy during the day and perfectly clear at night. This is amazing. <laughs> but like all this spring has been like either so much cloud, you cannot see I anything. I haven't been able or, to shoot at all. I mean, I've gotten out a few times, um, but it's just not, not nearly as, as much as I would have liked for sure. Yeah,
0: me too. Okay, cool. So people can learn more about your workshops on your website, which is com. Yep.
1: Cool.
0: And then my final question for you, sir, is, um, who would you want to hear on the podcast and ideally it would be someone that you would be able to like connect me to but not not it's not required but
1: i think some somebody that i would like to hear on this podcast and you may have heard of him you may not have heard of him but he is such a cool guy and his work is world class like he is up there with noriega he's up there with you know, Mike Bellino, all the best guys out there. And his name is Zachary Bright.
0: Huh. I have not heard if of him.
1: If you look him up on Facebook or if you look up his website, I think it's brightimages.com.
0: Okay, okay.
1: Um, he'll He's just going to melt your face off, man. He's so good.
0: That sounds awesome, and, man. And
1: he is so, like, giving and so, like... No, Bright Images is not his website. <laughs> 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 Whoops. Oh, Hold that's on. All good. I, I just found him I just found his Facebook page, Bright Images. I don't I was getting his uh there it is. It's Bright Slash like or Bright Dash Images dot com. Okay. So if you go to his Facebook, he's got a link in the right hand side that takes you to his website. But okay. uh, He's been a great he's been a great friend for a couple of years now. Um, I first got onto him when I was looking up uh, waterfall photography in the Finger Lakes. Okay, and I remember seeing some of his stuff. It just completely and utterly blew me away.
0: Oh shit! Um, yeah, he's got some sick shots on his. Oh face.
1: man, he's got some stuff from um, the Badlands. Uh, Badlands National Park. Huh. Uh, and I was supposed to be on that trip with him, and he's got a panorama with aurora and the milky way i I
0: see it it's insane
1: he showed me this when he was processing it and i like threw my phone across the room (laughs) i was like i was like you did not just show me that there's no way that happened i was supposed to be there you're absolutely killing me
0: man his stuff is super clean
1: right he is a sleeper dude because he does not he doesn't advertise. He's, he's doing workshops now. I'm actually texting him back and forth about he wants to, he's scouting out some stuff in the, uh, in, I think, West Virginia right now up in the mountains for a workshop. Where is he um, based on of- He lives in Ohio. Um, huh. Yeah, he lives kind of on the the western side of Ohio
0: crazy i've never heard of him he gets
1: around man with his job um i can't i can't remember exactly what his job is but like there'll be times that i'll be texting him and he'll be like on the back of a shrimp boat in like the middle of the atlantic or he'll be in india or he'll be somewhere crazy i don't it's nuts yeah his
0: man his work is really up wow good call yeah.
1: yeah yeah i thought you'd like him um but he is a great friend and he's such an awesome guy um, you will not be disappointed to, to chat with him.
0: Cool, yeah. I will definitely reach out. Well, th- uh, I really appreciate you coming on, Josh. Um, hopefully hopefully you get those workshops filled up and um, can't wait to see some more shots you take up at Best Eye because that's one of my favorite spots here locally that I like to get down there and shoot the Milky Way too because it's usually pretty pretty clear and stuff, so. Thanks for the conversation man I appreciate it and hope you Yeah, you're, thank you for having me. Hope you dig the format. I'm just trying to trying to get this guy launched off the ground so
1: Yeah, th- this was fun. I I've, I've never done a podcast before so it was pretty cool and and relaxed and